This episode is brought to you by MMR Live. Creative briefs, KPIs, brand strategy. Are you really capturing the impacts of your brand experience with the people you're trying to reach? Chances are you're not. With the help of MMR Live, an experienced strategy agency, you can actually operationalize what your creative brief sets out to do. Visit mmr.live to learn how to add KEIs to your KPIs to maximize your key emotional impacts, improve every brand experience, and earn a greater share of wallet. Enjoy this interview with Trisha Houston, my friend and colleague, leading a team of curious, creative, and collaborative professionals over at MMR Live. I'm Priscilla McKinney, host of Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. Trisha Houston, star of the stage and MMR. Here she is on my podcast at last, and I know you're going to love this episode. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Thanks for having me on, Priscilla. I'm excited to be here. Full disclosure, we are friends. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Um, And I would say, you know, how many times do we sat at dinners, you know, at either conferences or at retreats or at, you know, uh, all kinds of industry events? And I guess my answer to that is not enough. That's true. Even though it feels like we're on the road all the time, you know, it's it's always good to sit down and connect with you. So I'm yeah. happy when we get the opportunity. Okay, well, before we get too deep into this, I'm going to let people know a very cool thing about you is that you are have um, been willing enough to let me wrangle you into uh, speaking at our Insights Marketing Day coming up in October. This is going to be great. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, the lineup you've put together, I'm honestly a bit honored to be on the list with all the other people you have there. Because, you know, if you think back, it wasn't, I think it was two years ago, that's where we met. That's where right. I first met you when you spoke at the Marketing Day in Chicago. Yeah, oh, um, that and, you is know, everything, Everything's kind of gone from there. So it's like it's come full circle. So I'm all excited right. to participate. Yeah, very cool. And also, um, I think one of the, the best times that we had where we connected, we got a little longer to really talk um, and was at one of the Wire executive retreats. And at that point, you were on the track to becoming, you know, to going into the C-suite. And here you are in the C-suite. So that's very cool. Yeah, it was almost just one year, well, a, a year and change uh, ago today, and that's exactly what was going on. Um, we were able to really kind of talk about it, and I was really at that pivotal moment of starting up something new, of essentially, you know, birthing MMR Live beyond something that's just in my head. Right. And, <laughs> you know, which I think they're still trying to get some of the nuggets out of my head. My team is. They're always saying that. But right. uh we're, we're definitely a lot further than we were a year ago. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Trisha Houston is the chief operating officer and the founder of MMR Live. So let's dive into that exactly because we're going to talk about experience strategy and how it, how it, it comes out in the real world and all that kind of stuff. But tell us about you coming upon one year now of celebrating MMR Live's uh, anniversary. This That's what's going on for you this summer. So tell us about how it came to be and then what does that look like right now a year into it? Because I, I know in a year, a lot can happen. So kind of where was it birthed and then what is it really today? Yeah, and you nailed it. A lot has happened. Um, definitely if you asked me where we'd be a year ago, I, I wouldn't have even been able to make up the answer <laughs> of where we're at now. There's been a lot of pivoting, which was a learning for me. But Where we started um, actually goes back at the beginning of my career when I was in experiential marketing. I haven't always been 
in market research or always been in kind of this experience strategy uh, space. Though I guess you could say experiential is like experience strategy on steroids, right? <laughs> we were doing lots of really big, cool stuff for a Coca-Cola company like the Torch Relays or FIFA World Cup Trophy Tour. And being in that world, it was really easy to see how experience kind of drives everything mm-hmm. and that everything communicates. And then... It is that coveted, it is that coveted piece of like all, you know, brands look at that and be like, if only we could get something so experiential, if only we could do something so engaging, if only we could do something so interactive, it is very coveted. So, I mean, just even the two things you rattled off are actually very cool. Like, who doesn't want to be a part of that? (laughs) Exactly. And the thing is, what's interesting is how coveted it is. It really shouldn't seem that aspirational. And, and that's kind of what's landed me where I'm at today is I went to market research as a discipline thinking I could learn more about how to put more strategy and more measurement and a little bit more rigor around experiential. And I found that market research was a bit too far. While it does a great job at driving business strategy and all sorts of product development, it wasn't right to kind of help push experiential forward where the magic was was kind of in the middle of, you know, using some things from the disciplines of like service design, design thinking, consumer experience, and just deciding to lead from a place of experience first. Mm. That no matter what you're going to do, that you're deciding what type of experience you want to create, no matter how big, whether you're doing the Olympics Mm -hmm. or whether you're building a pop-up store or putting on a marketing event. Right. In December or in October, I mean. Right. You know, hey, so. you know <laughs> experience, experience. It's a good thing I brought the pro in. <laughs> so let, let's let's unpack that before we move into, you know, kind of MMR life. But before we, we finish telling the whole story, for those people who have not been involved in experience and are just hearing this like, oh, the Coca-Cola torch or, you know, or pop up. Can you g- give one example and break it down about what a company is doing, what they mean by experience marketing? Sure. So there's different levels, I think, in terms of where companies are operating. So the ones who are using it as a marketing lever, probably the most classic example is in the CPG space where you don't have a physical presence for your product. And so experiential doesn't just mean the term is like putting cans in hands. It can also mean your flagship store, like Yeti has one, you know, and you don't go there just to buy a Yeti or one of their materials. You go there to experience the brand. So it's making it tangible. Some people call it tangible marketing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the marketing angle. Um, The companies who are taking it further when we really get in this experience strategy space, it's not just part of their marketing. It's part of their company ethos. It's part of their core values. It goes through HR. It goes through employee experience. It goes through, of course, their physical experiences, their digital experiences. It's just part of their DNA. Mm. You see that in big brands. You see that with Apple. You mentioned Yeti. Um, You know, there's a lot of companies who are looking at that flagship store and or, um, you know, uh, um, a a physical experience um, out somewhere. Um, do you, at what point is this trend and when, when do you see those telltale signs that really this is just an outpouring of ethos? Like where's the differentiation for you? Whether it's part of like actually starting at the top. Um, I mean, yeah. And I mean that like, is it, is it just a tactic for you or is it part of your company culture? Mm, Um, Because I mean, you think about Zappos is a great example. I actually, um, 
last May was in Vegas and was able to go to their headquarters and do their tour, mm-hmm. um, which I totally recommend if you're ever in town. It's like 10 bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. just take a, you know, a ride share over to Fremont Street and they'll take you around. But it gives you a good sense that they'll be happy to tell you we're a customer service company. We just happen to sell shoes. Interesting. Yeah. So you want the Zappos experience. It, you know, you can buy these shoes anywhere you want. But if you want the Zappos experience, this is where you're going to come. Exactly. And I mean, of course, Chick-fil-A is a great example on that space. I mean, they're, yes, their chicken is lovely. It's delicious. <laughs> but <laughs> they're focused. They're winning. You know, the drive through lines are out on the freeway because the experience is consistent and the experience is good. And it goes through how they hire all their process and everything they put into place for their customers. Very cool. Okay, well, I've derailed you because already I'm interested in what you do because we always find something interesting (laughs) to talk about. So kind of go back to, you know, where you guys, so you guys were looking to the market research space to get more insight in order to direct and guide and maybe give more, um, even ROI or I guess just real, you know, real direction from the research base into the experience. But then, so what, what, what became then of MMR? Sure. Yeah. So from a a live standpoint, we really thought we were immediately going to start doing work with experiential agencies and with experiential minded client side marketers, Mm -hmm. essentially the live event space. And it was a real learning for us that it's very different going to talk to somebody who already gets the idea of experience. They live it, they breathe it. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. like, well, I know what I'm doing. You don't need to tell me how to do it any better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we actually found pretty quickly in the first six months that the work we were doing was actually more with innovation teams and R&D teams mm. and in retail, food service, some in durable, but essentially helping them being part of their design process. Mm. So part user experience, part interface, part physical experience, like uh, integrating your app commerce with your pickup experience in store, Mm -hmm. those sort of things. So kind of orchestrating, helping them orchestrate these experiences and make sure all the touch points connect. Oh my gosh. This is so huge. And when you really understand what this is, all of a sudden you see huge opportunities. This isn't about a live venue or about putting, you know, like a Pepsi challenge out on the street and make it interactive or, you know, or whatever this, this idea of bringing an experience into every aspect of your business that at every moment they are truly experiencing your brand, but are they experiencing your brand the way you and you would like for them to experience your brand? Um, at some point, you're going to get someone who really has to delve deeply into their um, call wait times to see if that really is the kind of customer experience we, we want to be oh, having. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I mean, it comes to life in so many different ways. And, you know, even I'm glad, you know, I'm really excited about speaking about the Insights Marketing Day in October, because that's an unexpected audience for us. Oh, um, yeah. We actually set out with a, um, a small business to kind of help them improve mm-hmm. their client experience, which is a very B2B mm-hmm. type scenario. But what we found was we actually needed to help them improve their employee experience first. Oh, my goodness. And and kind of doing that as a as a con- consulting, you know, and guiding and part therapy, you know, all those sort of <laughs> things wrapped into one. <laughs> and 
ultimately, yes, we'll we'll make a better client experience, but we got to work from within. Okay, so you kind of saw that you 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 knew that the idea was solid, but now you've realized that your ideal client persona is a little bit different than what you thought, and because you're the the song that you're singing really is is appealing to to people you didn't you know, anticipate would be turning around and loving it. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, why, why, why you, you know, for experience strategy, you came from the experience side, you wanted to add research to it and make it more strategic, but why are you so passionate about it? I think the passion really comes from the power that a power of transformation that experiences can provide. And that really started actually early in my life. Um, my sister is autistic. She, um, you know, still lives with my parents. And obviously growing up, we're very close in age. We're only two years apart. I was able to do things for her through creating experiences that she wouldn't otherwise have mm-hmm. that truly touched her life. I mean, 20 years later, she's still talking about, you know, I, I did the experience of getting a limousine, getting her a dress and bringing her to my sorority formal, mm-hmm. right? That was her, that was her prom. Yeah. And just the impact that a good experience can have on somebody's life that's transformative, even at a small scale. I mean, obviously something like that, you're like, okay, well, how does that equate to picking up my fast food sandwich and it being frictionless? It's the sum (laughs) of all those little parts, Mm -hmm. right? And the quote that I always like to come back to is, if you've done something right, it's like you've done nothing at all. Mm. And that's the sense, which is from... Futurama. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are cartoon, cartoon fans out there. <laughs> but um, it, 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 to me, that's why it's a passion for me. And I, I, it was kind of a light bulb when I realized that I've kind of approached my work this way mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. Now let's teach others how to do it and let's put it out there front facing and not just have it be something that is like just how Trisha gets her work done. Well, right? if you could put it in a nutshell, what do you think has changed about the consumer uh, today than what we would, you know, kind of, you know, call the modern consumer, that they expect uh, more than your average bear when it comes to experience. Well, I mean, you're, you're hit, striking at a time when, you know, the iron's hot for sure, because everybody's kind of wanting to understand this space. What do you think changed with the consumer that is driving this desire for better and better experience? Access. Mm. I mean, we have access to so much information, nothing happens in a vacuum anymore. Mm. And the comparison that you're making when you're having an experience at a given retailer isn't to the other retailers in that category. It's to the best retailer experience you've ever had. Oh, that is so, that is so insightful. So if I'm at Zappos buying shoes, but the next time I want to buy a car, what you're saying is, I am not just saying, oh, let me go to the best place where I know to buy a car. I'm, I'm actually, I've created, Zappos has created a level of expectation inside of me as a consumer that that's what I want when I go buy a car. Exactly. <laughs> that really does explain it to me why I'm very high demands everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just look at it and you go, well, why can't I do that? Right. You know, why? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there is a little history behind it. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the experience economy? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. So uh, Joe Pine and his partner, Gilmore, they wrote actually their first experience economy paper for Harvest Business Review and the books 20 years ago, like back mm-hmm. in the 90s, way ahead of their time, claiming that, you know, we live in a time where people value experiences more than goods and services. 
Mm. And that's absolutely the case today. I think people caught on, especially in the CX world, the traditional like consumer experience world, mm-hmm. I don't know, five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're seeing that kind of rise up. It's so relevant nowadays. I mean, mm-hmm. all the stuff we've seen with the purchase of Qualtrics by SAP for like $8 billion cash, like they're doubling down saying, right. hey, we can use this experience data to drive better experiences. We're going to be in a great place. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always heard about this, the experience economy in relation only to millennials. So this is, for me, the first time I'm hearing you talk about it, um, you know, in, in terms of it being outside of a generational thing. So, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I always am learning something new every day. Um, so, yeah, when you say experience economy, I hadn't really heard that outside as its own standalone thing. So you're saying this came a long way before millennials and people have been trying to, um, you know, to understand it and really codify it and then maximize it for brands. But it's you kind of what you're saying is, oh, it's really not super new. It's just now just becoming mainstream, mainstream enough to where it's very not only easily understood when you explain it, but people already have experiences they can connect with it. Like, for example, the moment you talk like that about Zappos, and that's a great experience, of course. Um, but like for me, I reach back to, you know, maybe 12 or 13 years ago when I first got the Roku. And uh-huh, they said, yeah. hey, it's 99 bucks. It'll be really easy. It'll be set up in three minutes. And I read that and went, yeah, right. And uh-huh. lo and behold, <laughs> that package arrived to me in rural freaking Kansas, you know, well yeah. before, you know, they said it would. And I literally was up and running when the three minute. it was almost like the, the, the instructions that came to it were almost funny. And I was having such a positive experience. You cannot say anything to me about Roku or Netflix. And what's interesting is there was a Roku experience, but it was tied to Netflix and tied to my my perception now of the Netflix brand because they created that experience for me that had not only no friction, but it was so outside of the box of what everybody else was doing in tech at that time. Everybody was making tech more and more difficult, more and more complicated, more and more, oh, it'll take you forever to understand this. And here they come in and just simplify the whole game and say, no, we did everything. You just plug this in. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, it's it made an impression on you. you I know? will be I mean, forever loyal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, yep. I mean, kind of a classic example that people give. And honestly, I think the economics of this has changed today is the cup of coffee example. Mm-hmm. So how much do you pay for a cup of coffee at McDonald's? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 75 cents, a do- maybe a dollar twenty. Uh, right. See. And then and then you go to Starbucks. How much mm-hmm. do you pay? Well, sadly, I'm, I paid for something for my daughter the, yesterday and it was five ninety five. There you go. And then if you're, you know, if you're traveling and you're in Europe and you're sitting in St. Marco's Square in Venice, you don't really care how much it costs, no. right? Ir- irrelevant and at that point. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, all that's different is the experience, right? right. I mean, it still starts with coffee beans. I mean, sure, maybe somebody roast them better, but... Right. Um, you know, we we pay for the we pay for the atmosphere. We pay for everything that goes around it. Right. So tell me specifically about how you would MMR live. How do you help a client um, or an agency kind of look at each experience separately? How do you how do you get them to break them apart so that you can come in and improve each experience? Like, do you, you know what what what's that process like? We obviously you know meet them where they are. I'd say most of our engagements are focused on um, discrete 
problems that they're trying to solve mm-hmm. or prototypes that they're trying to bring to market. So we'll engage with them. We obviously need to understand all the different stakeholder views, everything that's gone into it. And then we're actually going to be on site. Let's just assume it's something physical. We're having our team on site. We're doing both quick conversations because the research we're doing with your people at your brand space, Mm -hmm. that's part of the experience itself, right? Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that that's a good experience. We're also doing observations. We're doing tallies, multiple data streams, messy data streams, pulling those all together, and then delivering an operational plan back to them, Mm -hmm. not just um, things based on, you know, what they liked A versus B better. Mm -hmm. You need to go do this to make sure that they understand what their next step is. Mm -hmm. So in this year, which I know this has been a really crazy year, and I hate to put you on the spot on this, but, um, you know, I want to know what really stands out to you from like work, like that you were like, wow, this is really interesting, or it went a different direction than I thought it was going to, or even I learned in this or so from your first year, what personally really stands out to you? And I know you can't necessarily use, you know, uh, brand names or or people or the exact problem. But um, what, what's been an interesting problem that's been presented to you and, and, and talk a little bit about how your team dealt with it? Sure. And there, there is actually one I can talk about. Yay! Um, yay! <laughs> um, and it has been a challenge for our team because I think it stretched us in terms of thinking about a full year program. Mm-hmm. So we have a pro bono partnership with Zoo Atlanta. We're based in Atlanta and the zoo is going through a state of transformation. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of construction. A lot of the animals are off exhibit. Parking's becoming paid new food vendors, all these different things. And they, of course, were worried about their member base Mm -hmm. because that's a big financial part of how the zoo even is able to operate. Mm -hmm. So we were able to partner with them starting back in early this year to relook at how they can learn from their members and how they can monitor their progress. Mm -hmm. So it's been great getting to learn more about their challenges, but also challenging us to look at it for a full year program and essentially take them through a, CX transformation, if you will, Mm -hmm. and working with their systems, not necessarily coming in and saying, here's our software. This is the only thing you can use because we don't have any of our own software. Mm -hmm. We're agnostic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it stretched us. We've really enjoyed it. And they've been such lovely partners, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be able to see the impact that they can make on the community. Yeah. So what, like, okay, so let's talk about that. They're a great partner. They're being ideal for you because they have a true, a true problem um, going on. How, how would someone kind of self-identify, Hey, I am right for experience strategy. You know, how, how, how would someone say what, what kinds of pains do they need to be having where you say, yep, that's, that, that's stuff we can do. Yeah. So as we think through the ideal person who or organization that we're able to really help, We think it does help that you have to buy in to this whole idea that experiences can make an impact on your business. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're very forward with talking about our beliefs Mm -hmm. in the marketplace. Um, And so if that attracts you, Mm -hmm. um, the best use cases for us is when you're either bringing something new to market that's a bit disruptive for the audiences that you serve or you know that there's going to be a disruption Mm -hmm. or you see that you need kind of an overhaul and some people call it culture, some people call it organizational change, uh, change management, whichever way you want to think about it, of your strategy at large. Mm. 
You know, it's so funny because, you know, having a smaller company and now I'm, I'm at about 20, you know, employees and it is so hard, I think, about, you know, to make this kind of like organizational change when we go to market differently with a product or the way we feel about it. Or, and, you know, if I think this is hard at 20 people, I can't imagine what our organizations doing when say you have 1500 employees and you're trying to do something disruptive you're trying to bring something new to the market or you know you're trying to get buy-in from your own you know your own employees in order to embrace something new i mean i just almost makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit (laughs) so yeah i mean the communication needed is insane i mean you got to tell people 10 times before they even try to consider something new right Right. i mean you got to be buttoned up yeah and we've all been on those phone calls with you know where we've complained about a company and only to have the employee go yeah it's really stupid it's just the way we have to do it oh my gosh a great a great story (laughs) about that i went to um from atlanta of course so i eat a lot of chick-fil-a I go to Chick-fil-A and I never have any problem. I come home, my chicken tenders are missing, my chicken strips. I, I quickly went in the app because it was a mobile order, told them that. I received two phone calls, a gift certificate in the mail mm-hmm. for more chicken strips. Mm-hmm. Similar thing happened at McDonald's. <laughs> also, I, I had to call them. My husband encouraged me to call them. Their answer was, well, we wrote your name down in the manager's office. And next time you come in, tell them that we wrote your name down, and then they'll give you a free sandwich. So they put the burden on me. Right. So here, you handle our customer experience. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember doing that like maybe 10 or 11 years ago um, with Starbucks one time. I just got so hacked off at something. I mean, you do pay, you know, $6 for a drink or whatever. And I, I, um... I, I I actually was, you know, this was before we all had, you know, apps and it was just this easy. I actually wrote in and just told them my experience. And seriously, in the mail, I got like, I don't know, two vouchers. It's no big deal. But, you know, in the sense of like, you know, but it is a big deal to respond to somebody and say, hey, our fault on us. Here you go. And, exactly. you know, I think we're all in the market research space enough to, that we do. We probably are a little bit more geared toward giving people feedback because we are so desperate for it all day long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so I think, you know, we, we, we do value that opinion when it's this genuine kind of thing. So maybe we, we, you and I are maybe a little bit more likely to do something like that. Um, but it is interesting, on the other hand, where I feel like there are a lot of companies now who think doing surveys and asking about customer experience is so the norm. And so they do it and they do it ad nauseum, but they never listen to the feedback. Exactly. And they do it the same way every time. I mean, you fly a lot. You get the same survey every time, I was just going to bring up flying. If I have to Mm -hmm. answer the same dumb survey about my flight... Again, why? Why should I? Why should I? Why should the burden be on me to actually do your work for you? That's exactly it. And and also is that airline considering all the touch points they're sending you? Right. Because that survey is just another touch point, and then the marketing emails, and then the sale emails, and then the whatever else email. Well, and then the the announcement over the PA for me to buy, you know, use their credit card. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Anybody else tired of it yet? Because I'm like, no, this is my time. I was asleep, dude. (laughs) You need to stop it. (laughs) So, yeah, they're not really thinking about how many times we're, you know, touch, especially for those of us who, you know, are on the road a lot. And I think there is when you don't personalize this kind of, um, you know, interaction or surveying or, or, you know, or, um, you know, communication 
with your user, it's like, like, do you not realize that there's someone who flies once every five years and someone else who flies every fifth day? I mean, exactly it. It, it, it really is actually pretty annoying. <laughs> it is. And when you do get them, I mean, we have some, we love our tech partners, mm-hmm. you know, that we work with, like the Vox taught me folks for yeah. video open-ins or some of the more text analytics stuff because voice and video, it's so much easier for you to just record a quick video clip or voice clip mm-hmm. to give your feedback versus even going through my short four question survey. Right. Because again, that's a shift the burden thing, right? Is it right. easier for the researcher or is it easier for the respondent? But the new tools on the market make it so much easier to sift through all that unstructured data. Right. And then when we talk even on another, you know, layer about, you know, looking for like cheaters and repeaters in the system that for surveys and thinking about bots and thinking about how people kind of, you know, edge around the system to give data, you know, and is the data really great quality? And I mean, obviously I'm giving a whole lot of examples of things that we talk about in MR, but when you Mm -hmm. have to actually look at the face of someone who is a customer saying something on video to you, it's like, no, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't appreciate it very much at all. You know, it is a very different leveling of engagement and level of feedback, quality of feedback. Absolutely. And and that's an interesting point we try to make when we engage with clients who are not market researchers, because they always default to, oh, well, it means you're going to go do a survey for us. Mm. Well, we might not at all. Mm-hmm. We might just go stand at your location, at your restaurant, your store, whatever, mm-hmm. and have very quick conversations with folks. We're not mm-hmm. going to hand them an iPad and make them, you know, take a 10-minute survey that's really <laughs> long and take away from their overall experience. We're going to make the feedback that we gather a good experience, too. Very cool. So with this kind of heading back to the zoo, Atlanta, um, you know, so this company was really, and this organization is really in transition. Um, But you mentioned that it also is a really good case use for people who are, you know, in transition, not necessarily organizationally, but in transition, maybe with with uh, their products and what they're either with what they're going to market or how they're going to market. So that that could be a really interesting situation for you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. So disruption is um, something everybody is hearing about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody is afraid of (laughs) um, no matter what industry you're in. Um, But really, you know, being able to drill down into, you know, but what is the no matter what it is that's happened, what is the experience the user is having? Why do you think that took so long to get from, you know, like uh, from CX world into just really everyday consumer you know, um, conversations? Because it's hard. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of coordination. Mm. Um, and you can't work in a silo to make something like that happen across an organization. Like we see the chief experience officers pop up. Uh Um, they probably are a department of one, but they're utilizing resources from across the company. Mm -hmm. It's part IT, it's part HR, it's part, logistics as part store managers. Maybe you have franchisees. Mm -hmm. It's just hard. Right, right. So on your team, you look for people as you've been developing your team who don't necessarily go into it with preconceived idea, who are willing to just listen. Is that, I mean, is that your top quality or critical thinking or what, how have you developed your team? That's a good question because it is a bit different um, than how we think about it when I was, you know, in the pure like MR world. Mm -hmm. We kind of think about three different continuums. Yeah. 
So what is your experience and mind state related to experience? Are you, you know, are you doing the torture relays? Are you in that space? Mm-hmm. Or do you just think about the unboxing product experience like you were talking about with your Roku? Mm-hmm. Similar with research. We need people who are across the spectrum. I need, you know, I need people out there who can moderate. So I need qual folks. I need quant folks. And then I need folks who just kind of look at the research and go, turn their head sideways. And they're like, is that how you do it? (laughs) Because that's okay. Uh I need a different perspective. And then our last kind of continuum is operations. Hmm. Like how, um, not so much tactical, but how like able are they able to turn all these insights that we find into real Hmm. tangible action plan, which is a different skill set than looking at it and saying, here's what you should do. And taking it to the next level and saying, here's how you get it done. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can see that even just in this brief conversation that you have to be working with an organization that definitely has the will for a long game. Like, is they may be dealing with wicked, wicked problems and how do we unravel what's going on. But they've got to be in it for just kind of whatever that's going to emerge from the data. Like, they can't come in to it with preconceived ideas or that it's just going to be down and dirty and in and out kind of thing. Yeah, you know, and you say it that way, I wonder if that's why we had such early success with innovation and R&D people, because they're used to kind of rolling with the punches, right? Right. And they're they're used to, uh, their their whole world is risk. Mm -hmm. Like, they're pretty comfortable with risk. Like, oh, well, we don't know where this is going to lead us. Well, <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll Makes let sense. then we'll, <laughs> we'll let the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. That might be why. And they also are people that are, um, it, you know, innovation and R and D. They also rely on a lot of people's opinion. They are less siloed. Um, you know, they they somebody else at the table by putting more people at the table, more good ideas end up at the table. And I think those people realize that when you go into a traditional marketing role, those people are typically, I'd say typically, very protective. They're a little bit more territorial. Um, sure. yeah. You know, and so they want to, they are bringing the solution to the stakeholders, not hey, this team approach and this collaboration where people in the innovation and R and D space are typically. Um, more willing to collaborate because they have experienced that diversity of people at the table creates, you know, this willingness to collaborate, which creates better and better ideas. So yep. I, I don't think that's, to me, that doesn't, um, uh, that doesn't surprise me, really. And when you talk about, you know, some of the problems that we have, you know, even in marketing, it is hard for us to also work with people who are an incredibly siloed department. And we see that problem when people overly silo marketing to sales, you can't learn, oh, yeah. you know, from each other when they're in different offices or even in different cities, and it, it can be incredibly challenging. So that's interesting that you know you wouldn't have seen that the first year, but it has emerged that innovation and R and D people are really more quickly, more quick to respond to, you know, your offerings, and you know it, these are kind of the things as an entrepreneur we look back and go, duh. I think I kind of knew that, but when you experience it, it's, it, it is very different. But I love these kinds of interviews because it just kind of fell out of your mouth. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Those are our people. <laughs> yes, 
there definitely are people. <laughs> um, well, tell a little bit, let, let, you know, let, let's wrap up here with this about being an entrepreneur, because this is one of the things where I love and where I really connect with you. We are in different disciplines, and I learn so much from you, and I, I think that we, we're, we're both just very interested and curious in each other's work. But as an entrepreneur, exactly, and how you've brought this idea that you had, this passion that you have to life, you brought it, you know, you, you, you were in NMR, and now it's become MMR Live. What kind of advice do you have for my listeners about how to take this kind of a new idea and bring it to life? You know, what, what would you offer to people with those kinds of aspirations? The best mantra that I've come upon um, is the idea of declare and go. I think oftentimes, and this was given to me by one of my mentors, um, who's actually on my team now at MMR Live, but uh, Jennifer really helped me understand that it's okay um, to kind of feel like you're in that gray zone. Mm-hmm. Um, to where things are, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I think a lot of us are when you're in that entrepreneur space, that it's never going to be fully baked. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're dealing with, since this was birthed out of an existing organization, Mm -hmm. I have to, I have that audience as well to kind of bring them along with, with what we're doing with building this new discipline, That's stating it out loud, (laughs) stating your intention, Mm -hmm. um, simply gives you enough mental permission to move on. And then go do the next thing. And it took me a while to get there mm-hmm. because I would sit on some things or worry, oh, are we doing the right thing? Especially when we pivoted, I was like, oh, does this mean we're doing things wrong? Mm. You know, does this mean we're setting ourselves up for failure? Well, we've got to fail, you know, to figure right. out what we're doing next. And mm-hmm. just giving myself that permission to keep moving and also knowing that there's going to be lots of failure along the way, I think was the biggest learning I've had mm. over the past past year. Mm. So expect Expect learning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, learning ahead. Um, okay, so for October, I am so excited for you to speak because, you know, in coming to Insights Marketing Day, I was really trying to bring new voices um, that we haven't heard, not the same kind of piece of advice. Um, you know, we all go, you know, to these different conferences and we go to, um, you know, to get some tactical, you know, just great piece of advice. But the reality is, is that we got to go home and really do the work. And what I was hoping with um, Insights Marketing Day is that people would hear inspirational speeches and not just tactics, but really a few mindset shifts. And I know that, you know, your work really, I believe, delivers mindset shifts. It makes people scratch their heads and say, what's really going on at our con- at our company? <laughs> you know, and what could this be like? Let's dream a little bit. What what are we going for? You know, so I'm super excited to have you there. But could you give my audience just a little bit of sneak peek about what you're going to talk about at Insights Marketing Day? How you think your expertise contributes? I'm glad you set it up that way um, because I do think the main part of what I will be sharing is that mindset mm-hmm. because we find that most people come to us not even considering some of the parts of the experience that their clients are having, even their employees are having, because it does start within. So that's really what I'll be focused on. I hope that if they take only one thing away from my talk, it's the idea that everything communicates. And I'll expand more in the talk, obviously, about how that comes to life. But there's a lot of touch points that probably you don't even think about that impact both your client experience, your employee experience, and your prospects as well. Mm -hmm. So hopefully people will have an a new set of things to think about as they consider marketing and branding and um, 
going to market with their company. Oh, I love it. Okay, you got you kind of left us hanging there. So you got to come to Insights Marketing Day <laughs> to get exactly. this amazing um, <laughs> mindset shift. Um, I'm going to have to call you beforehand and make you run through the whole thing with me so I can make sure that my live event is actually really on par. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do some, some pro bono consulting with me before, uh, Tricia. I'm, I'm going to need it. So real quick, let's end in a rapid fire. Um, um, we like to end with this, kind of finding out how do people keep, you know, in, in touch with what's going on and keep new. So do you have a favorite podcast that you listen to? Or are you a podcast person at all? I am a podcast person, right. and I love listening to uh, 99% Invisible with oh, Roman Mars. That's so good, right? Um, okay, so do you have a go-to app? A recent one um, called Blinklist. Um, I came across it through, actually, Dave Crothers posted about it on LinkedIn, and it's been wonderful. It condenses all these current books into, like, cliff note form. And for me, who's terrible about finishing long-form books, it's a, it's a godsend. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, you know, yeah following David Crothers is probably a good idea in general. So yes. and you, you, you must work with David a little bit too. We do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. Favorite book. Are you reading something great right now? No, but I love Harry Potter. Um, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. Harry Potter always counts on this podcast. So do you follow a particular blog in the industry? How do you keep current? Um, in the industry, one I like, uh, it's called Brand New. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually from a publishing place called Under Construction. They publish on brand identity. I find it very interesting because they talk about the choices the brands are making visually, which informs kind of a lot of the rest of their strategy. Ooh, I got to look that up. I've never even heard of it. See, this yeah. is why I asked. This is all selfish part of the end of my interview. <laughs> and no worries. And a personal one is uh, Wait But Why. I don't know if you ever read that one before. No, uh-uh. Oh, my God. You got to check it out. And look for the procrastination post about the instant gratification monkey. And thank me later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, we have something else to talk about. <laughs> Trisha, thanks so much for coming on. This has been so enjoyable to really break it down again. You and I are always talking about kind of big picture issues. So this was really refreshing to get in and talk about really the day-to-day of what you're doing at MMR Live. It's super interesting. But I'm really looking forward to seeing you in October, too. Me as well. Thanks for having me on, Priscilla. Lovely to talk to you. You are always welcome here. Um, Fellow Women in Research uh, Executive uh, uh, Retreat uh, friend. And um, for those of you who don't know what Women in Research is, it's absolutely free to join, but it is a great uh, community of people really supporting each other. And it's always free to join. Go check them out at womeninresearch.com. That's how we got to meet. And so if you want to meet great people and have great conversations, super easy to do. But go check out uh, Tricia. Houston. She's, um, you can obviously find her on uh, LinkedIn, but it is Patricia Houston on LinkedIn. So in all fairness with people, you got to find her, but um, MMR Live, check out what they do. And and if you are interested in Insights Marketing Day, just check out insights-marketing.org and we'll see you in October. Thanks, Tricia. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. From all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.